Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hi, I'm Brittany, and um, Eric, unfortunately, is not with me today. He had to tend to some family business, so he is out this week. But we are still for colored nerds, the conversations that black people have when white people are not in the room. But we record them, and we put them on the internet uh, to tell our business, because that's what we like to do. Um, But in Eric's stead, I have a wonderful co-host that I'm so excited (laughs) I'm so excited to see here. So in the studio today, we have the founder of Black Contemporary Art, Kim Drew. So, yay. yay. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, my God, my pleasure. I'm so excited. I, I'm, I'm excited that you're here. I've been following Black Contemporary Art probably since you started it, like not too long after. Like I found you guys on Tumblr and I was just like about it, about it. Yeah. But let me backtrack. I should allow you to explain who you are, and what black contemporary art is. Yes. I work in the arts uh, by trade, uh, but about five years ago, almost five years, next year is our fifth anniversary, which is very exciting, Mm. I started the blog Black Contemporary Art after doing an internship at the Studio Museum in Harlem in 2010. I was at the museum and I kind of got there after declaring an art history major and wasn't really sure what the hell I was going to do with my life because I was also in college and you know you're just yeah. not sure no <laughs> you kind of like when you get out. <laughs> I'm just going to do me yeah. for as long as that feels right um, I had a great advisor Kevin Quashi at Smith College who strongly encouraged me to work at the Schomburg Center or at mm-hmm. the Studio Museum in Harlem during the summertime and mm-hmm. because of my socioeconomic situation I needed a paid internship and Studio Museum has that which is very rare mm, and did, very 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 important and paramount to who I am today but I did that internship and it was it just blew my mind cuz I was there and sitting at, I was an intern in the director's office and would sit, you know, within steps of Thelma Golden every day. Um, it's possible a lot of our listeners don't know who Thelma Golden is. Yeah. I'm a super fan of hers. If you could just talk a little bit about Thelma. Yeah, yeah. So Thelma is the director of the Studio Museum in Harlem. She was the first black curator at the Whitney Museum. She's the curator of the seminal show Black Male, which was at the Whitney Museum in 1993 and traveled to Los Angeles shortly after. She also has worked on a number of exhibitions and um, has throughout her life supported black artists um, in a way that is really unparalleled 
with such grace. And she is just a really, really great mentor and person in the arts to know about and in the fashion world to also know about. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because she's fly. She's fly as hell. She is fly as hell. I first learned about her in Vogue. I think their shape issues. She was like the petite person that they had in that issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, who is this black woman living this amazing life? And yeah, I learned about her like via fashion first and then found out that like who she was and the shit blew my mind. Yeah, it's very, very cool. And yeah, so I was there and working with her and just kind of got a crash course into what it's like to be a powerful person in the arts. Learning from her Mm -hmm. while working with her, learning of her while working with her, learning of the Studio Museum while working there, Mm -hmm. learning about what it's like to work in the arts and... It just it grabbed me and I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Every day I was introduced to a different artist. I would field requests from people. It's like, oh, you know, I just got this email from Trenton Doyle Hancock. And it's just like, oh, okay, this is real. Mm -hmm. Um, The proximity to black artists, the feeling of urgency and every day of the work. um, I was completely sold. Then I go back to Smith College, which is great, wonderful place. Mm -hmm. Also very, very important to me. Thelma also went to Smith. Yeah. Just, But I went back to Smith and felt without that kind of source of inspiration. And mm-hmm. so I am a very internet person. I've been on the web since I was about six or seven. Like, I'm that millennial person. Yeah, shit. Um, and so I wanted to find a blog that would do what Studio Museum had done for me during my internship. And I could not find one. I was really pressed. I was like, I have to find, (laughs) there has to be a way to bring together these things. And I wasn't even hip to thinking about art criticism. I wasn't hip to Mm. thinking about, I just didn't know about some of the blogs that existed at the time, just generally about art. Mm -hmm. So I decided to make my own thing because I knew at the end of the day what I wanted to see. And I knew that if I looked for certain artists that I could find other artists, whether it was through exhibition Mm through exhibition catalogs or through just Google searching or whatever, I knew that if I just started to put something out there that it would be a good exercise in terms of at least making myself familiar with the names I already knew. In brief, it is a Tumblr blog. It is kind of a visual archive of black artists who have made work and black art historians who have written and black creatives just in general, who are, who are putting out cultural products for the mm-hmm. past, like, 60 years or so. A really, that's filling a really big hole. Like, I told you I was, like, an art history minor, and one of the things I missed a lot when I, like, left D.C. was that being constantly surrounded by black art, you mm-hmm. know, whether in person or just, like, through visuals. And it was something that I was hungry for, like, online, and it didn't really exist. Like, right after I got out of school, I worked for PBS as, like, a like a media like archivist sort of taking like archival footage and then like digitizing it and like um, tagging it with metadata so that it could be like eventually it was supposed to be put online as this like educational YouTube but it got me thinking a lot about taking cultural product or taking like art and making it something that could be accessible to everybody Mm -hmm. and that's what like totally blew my mind about black contemporary art where it's just like Here's like Tumblr, you know what I mean? This thing that like I was telling you that I used when I was living in Michigan because I wanted to look at pictures of black people because I didn't see that many like in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Like on the same platform, I could see, like you said, like like the great works of like black artists, you know, presently, but also like those over the past like 60 years, you know, with proper accreditation and like 
criticism written by black folks, which is a totally different, it's a completely different frame of reference and being able to have that available, I thought was really important. I have been a a fan of black contemporary art for a while. And one of the things I liked the most about it was that the fact that it was on Tumblr. Mm -hmm. Can you say more about like your choice to like host on Tumblr? Yeah. Um, Tumblr seemed like a natural fit because I was already a very Tumblr interested person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what first got me on the site. Actually, I'm very curious about that. I just like kind of forgot. Mm-hmm. But I always saw it as a space for learning just mm-hmm. because it could be this pedestrian encounter with new things. You go and look for something, you can type it in, and it will come back to you. Um, kind of like you said, being in Michigan and, and wanting to see images of black people, mm-hmm. you could find that on Tumblr mm-hmm. if you wanted to find, especially at that time, because I think it's really important too to talk about social media in terms of years um, and just like a time specificity because a lot of it has changed. Yeah. Um, but Tumblr circa 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. which is really got when I got into it, it was just, it was such a wonderful place because it wasn't super algorithm heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, you could really have such a diverse set of things served to you based on who you were following or what you were really... If you were keywording properly, you could find some really dope shit. Mm-hmm. And it was a site of discovery, so it felt like the place to do that. Um, instead of doing a blogger site or like a... Yeah, you know, whatever. Because I also knew at that time that I was new to art history. I was new to um, these artists specifically. And so I couldn't just start my own thing that didn't, that wasn't informed by a community or Mm. responsive to a community um, because I came into my knowledge from people sharing with me. And so I wanted to share with them as well and not in a way that was just um, pushing out content, but actually really, responding this like call and response that's capable on a social network as opposed to a static site is really lovely and there wasn't there wasn't instagram at that time no so i mean i think now if i started it again um instagram would have been very influential to thinking about that Mm -hmm. um but at the time tumblr was really it just seemed like the like the only option i had to create something that was responsive and just a living, breathing document of what I was thinking about. Tumblr is absolutely the site for something like that. And it still is that way. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. But it's changed just because of the way that the algorithm operates. It's like, it's just, it's kind of oppressive. And also I fell out of it. You know, I, yeah. I grew a little bit. <laughs> I, I got old, y'all. And so <laughs> I, I just, I got a job and I got a life. And so I'm not like on Tumblr in the same way that I used to be. Yeah. And so when I do log in, I'm kind of like, oh, you also post this picture. You also post this picture. Yeah. And it just feels kind of, Repetitive. it's just not the Tumblr I, I, I grew up with, um, <laughs> which is such a ridiculous thing to say out loud, but true. It's changed and I appreciate it. But um, at the time it, it just worked. So um, one of the things when we had we had Ashley Ford, who's like a writer, she wrote for BuzzFeed. She's, she's amazing. Now. She's amazing. She's yeah. an awesome, awesome woman. But one of the things that we talked about was how like Tumblr and Instagram and like other online platforms allowed black people, but like specifically black women, the space for like self-determination mm-hmm. and visibility or even in some cases hyper visibility where there once was invisibility you know yeah but she spoke about that as far as like personal narrative and writing 
you know, you talk about social media and, and like social media eras. Mm-hmm. Like how has social media shaped your ability to self-determine as a black woman who works primarily with images? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's really great about growing up in the internet age is having access to images Mm -hmm. of black people and learning about the way that we have, I mean, just the way that people in general have told their own narratives. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was an undergrad, I wrote this really terrible paper that linked (laughs) Josephine Baker to Howardina Pindell. And Josephine Baker, of course, is this iconic black woman who was a performer in 1920s-ish. And she had such an interesting career because she at first was objectified in terms of her like cultural production mm-hmm. and then became kind of this empire figure who could self-determine and could move freely about the cabin. And thinking about that in relationship to an artist like Howardina Pindell, who's a video artist, and making her own images of herself Um, thinking about what it means to own your image, like black female subjectivity in real time um, and being able to not only be the subject of something, but also communicate about what that subjectivity feels like. Mm -hmm. Um, Social media gives us that opportunity to really say, this is my narrative. And whether or not you become super famous and everybody in the world can see you're putting out at Stage one within yourself, you're able to just say what you are. You know, it's like that Zora mm-hmm. Neale Hurston quote: "Like if you don't have your own voice." I'm butchering this quote. I do it all oh the time. Oh my it's god! My I just want to say that first. But it's like you know something like, "If you don't tell your own story, they can kill you and say that you enjoyed it." Uh-huh. You know, it's like yeah. that thing where you can say, you know, these are the things that I think, and put it out there, and like mm-hmm. two people might see it. But you said it, and mm-hmm. that's something. You yeah. know, that's something. Or you, you're going through that motion, and it's not a journal where it's just this private thing that's your own, but just professing who you are. Social media is a great avenue for, for doing that. And it bugs me out to think about young people right now who have this platform at 13. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I did not have anything worthwhile to say at 13. Let me just tell y'all that too. <laughs> um, but it, it's interesting to see how that how that operates. You know, I'm so mm-hmm. curious about what Gen Z will look like in 10 years. That agency to, one, know the lineage of your subjectivity and what it means to be who you are in public spaces yeah. and the history around it. And then also just to be like, but actually, this is also who I am. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's no no singular narrative around. Or earlier, before we were recording, we were talking about normal and how it's um, it's a flawed logic to assess normal. Because there's no center. There's no um, scale for what normal means. And so people can actively perform who they are mm-hmm. and not have to worry about the flawed logic of normalcy. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really wonderful. You can like say, you set your own tempo, you create your own, it's like your own visual tableau. Like this is my life. These are the things that I like. These are the things that I care about. Yeah. And like nobody can, it really shouldn't, but people do sometimes, but nobody really can in a certain way step in and be like, oh no, 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 no. You're doing you wrong. Right. Yeah. Like, but they will. <laughs> and I mean, trust and believe people will, but you have the agency because your record is there. 
you know? Mm-hmm. People can't say, like, if, you know, someone is talking about this interview later, they can be like, oh, Kim said this, or Britney said this. Yeah. But also, I could be like, well, we didn't. <laughs> yeah. And that's it's it's like, simple. It's just a matter of being able to, you know, say say what you want to say and do what you want to do. It's just like an agency that is really unprecedented and it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Yeah, cuz there's, you know, there's also silence and I feel I think a lot about silence actually in terms of being silenced or also like the agency of silence. What do you mean you say the agency of silence? The agency of being abstaining. Like knowing that something is happening or knowing that there's a dialogue happening and mm-hmm. knowing that you can not participate. Like I think about elder black people, elder black women specifically, thinking about like Toni Morrison or mm-hmm. like Claudia Rankin. I think about literary figures, like yeah. just like off bat when I think about silence and the the right to abstain from a dialogue yeah. is really, really powerful too. Mm-hmm. It's just something I don't even know how I got there, but I just like, I, I just think a lot about being being in a position to speak, but then also being in a position not to speak. It's like the um, there's this there's this article that just came out this week. I think it was October fifth by Gia Tolentino on the Fader. It's funny too because it was like, oh about Beyonce, yeah about Beyonce, and it, like it came out weirdly before the Nicki Minaj New York Times Magazine profile came yeah. out, where the writer I think her name was Vanessa Gregoriadis was, like, dismissed by Nicki Minaj. Like, she pursued this line of questioning that Nicki felt, and also I felt, was just kind of, like, asinine. And Nicki was just like, I don't have to do this right now. You can leave. Like, this is not a thing that I have to do with you. Like, we don't have to have this conversation. And weirdly enough, like, a few days before that, this piece ran about how Beyonce, like, one of the ways in which she wields, like, the power that she has as a black woman and as a very visual black woman, like, a a black woman who doesn't, really use Twitter. The article was based around how she hasn't really given an interview. She hasn't answered a question directly in like a year and a half or like two years or something like that. It's been like, it's been like since 2013 or something. Right. Which is awesome. It was awesome. She had a GQ interview. And then like one of the most amazing things I think that she ever did, like when what her was it it was a self-titled yeah i don't know how i don't know how the fuck i forgot when her self-titled album came out a couple years ago i remember thinking like oh it'll be interesting when she like does interviews and she was just like "Mm, no i actually i made i made this documentary i also made like four youtube videos that go along with my album and like you can have questions for me but like i'm not going to respond to them that is an incredibly powerful thing and you think about being a black woman like you said and just having the choice to be like no no like, I'm not going to engage this. This is not a thing that I have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a really powerful thing. I never thought about that, the choice of silence and how powerful that is. It's just amazing. And I think it's something that is very wise. Knowing knowing when is the time to go, it's, it's a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a, I think it's a hard-learned behavior, of course, too. But it's it's really dope to see. It's something that I definitely am trying to channel, like channel with all of my might, knowing <laughs> knowing this is the time and this is not the time. Well, you have like quite the audience. Like, How many people follow black contemporary art? We have 200,000 followers. 200,000 followers. Cool. Yeah. That's massive. Yeah. That's massive, not just for like your platform, but also for like the subject. Let me tell you, because I really, when I started the blog, first off, I started it for myself. First and foremost, just because I was interested in learning about these artists, interested in putting these artists in a space. And, and I would... In the beginning, I would kind of discover an artist, search for them on Tumblr. If they weren't on Tumblr, I would put a post up about them, mm-hmm. a post or five. 
um, because I felt like these names had had to become a part of our kind of general lexicon mm-hmm. um, because all the creatives are on Tumblr. And so all the creatives need to know about McLean Thomas or Rashad Newsom yeah. or Deanna Lawson. But anyway, it was just that. I just wanted to put these things out there in a very kind of almost selfish way. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I need this thing. I need this thing to exist. So I'm going to make it. And I never, ever in a million years thought anybody was going to like it. <laughs> I like- was just like, I'm, you know, I started it. I started it at my work study job at Smith College. When I first got there and was doing work study, I had a cafe job. And then mm-hmm. I got the very special offer to work in the student government office and had access to a computer all day and was just like, this is what I'm about to do during my work study time. Like, <laughs> I'm going to help people do other stuff they need to do, but also work on my little blog uh-huh. that no one's going to follow. I got 100 followers and I lost my mind. I was just like, oh. 100 people care about 100, this? 100 motherfuckers on the internet are into this thing that I'm doing. <laughs> That's really cool. Oh, 200 people are into this thing. And it soon grew to 10,000 people, which is just like, what? You know, yeah, like that that quantity of people who are interested in something that you're interested in. Yeah, that's kind of nerdy and kind of weird. And I felt private, probably. Yeah, and not no 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 definitely never 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 felt private. Really? Um, I grew up in a family of that prioritized creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because I was always the kid in the family who wasn't good at sports, <laughs> wasn't good at drawing, wasn't good at this, wasn't good at that. Um, and it frustrated me throughout my entire life because I always knew that creativity was paramount to one's being. It's how you express yourself. It's mm-hmm. how you make record of who you are. Um, and so the sharing the creativity of others never felt private. Like mm. it was actually a very public gesture. I just didn't think that there would be a public for it. That's really interesting because like a lot of anytime that we've had like a guest on and we've talked about Tumblr, like whether like it made it into the episode or not. One of the things about it is that like, like I feel this way probably because I primarily use it for personal expression. A lot of, a lot of writers feel like it's this really like private thing or like maybe like they use Tumblr as like a way and which makes sense though. You know, like Tumblr is not necessarily a platform for writing, but like you said, it is a platform for images. So share, like I could definitely see how, Using Tumblr in that context is kind of like, no, here, this is here. You need to see this. Like, if you care about it, great. But you, it sounds like you weren't expecting for people to think it was as popping as it obviously is. Yeah, I never, ever thought in my heart of hearts. And it's so funny now because I'm like, yeah, duh. <laughs> like, <laughs> duh. But it is, it is definitely also, to cliche, like the gift that keeps on giving because you never know when you're doing your own thing. You yeah. just like showing up. I mean, I'm sure you feel that about the podcast where you're like, oh I God. wanted to start this thing because I think it needed to exist. And then people are like, your podcast changed my life. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you respond to that? Nobody's actually told me that it's changed their life. But like, like I've met. It's like crazy because there's people that I would never imagine ever would give a fuck about what anybody, not just me personally, but anybody like me would have to say. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I've met like middle-aged white guys in the Midwest who found the show and were like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, and I'm just like, how? Like, I would never even have conceived that you would even understand what I was saying. It's weird to think that like conversations that I've had in my head or conversations that I have with my best friend that we, and I record them and we put them out there, but just like. It's weird. It's very strange, very humbling to think that other people are like, oh, yeah, no, no, this is cool. Like, yeah. you guys, you keep doing this. Like, this is totally fine. Yeah. But you are like, so you have black contemporary art. Yeah. But also you have like this ferocious 
Instagram Twitter personality. Ferocious, I like that. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling it. It's my, I I like ferocious so much better than like you know what word I hate huh. sassy. <laughs> I fucking hate sassy, and I hope anybody who listens to this knows to never ever ever call me sassy. I don't think you should refer to any woman really as sassy. Oh period. my god, it makes me it like drives me up a wall because it's just it's such a charged word. Anyway, ferocious is is dope. I just think so much about also being a black woman and putting out your words. And I'm not an inflammatory person. Yeah, you know, I'm not like out here coming at people's necks. No, you have a very, very, a very pleasant, chill vibe, like in person and online. I try to be as generous as possible in any given day. I like to get the most out of all of the communications that I have with people. Uh-huh. I really, really, really work very hard at being as generous as possible at any given moment. Mm-hmm. So when people tell me that I'm sassy or like just using those words around like um, an abrasiveness is just so incredibly disrespectful. So anyway, ferocious, I like because I think it's a word that has a little, it's more inflated than like a sassy. Yeah, sassy can sassy. be aloof and it's very like one note. But ferocious is just like, you know, beast no. in the streets, which I appreciate. No, that's how I feel. I mean, because, you know, for those of y'all don't know, Kim is also at Museum Mammy, which like I followed Black Contemporary Art on Tumblr and I was looking for Black Contemporary Art like on What's it called? Instagram. And then, like, I saw that, like, you're a museum mammy. And I was just like, first of all, this name. Like, first of <laughs> all, this name is, like, the greatest thing. Because, like, it let me know, like, I used to be obsessed with, like, I wanted to be a curator for two seconds. I think every time anybody comes in here, I'm always just like, I've actually always wanted to do your job. But I had <laughs> the talent nor the drive to do it. So <laughs> the best thing that I could do is get you in here and talk to you. But um, the mammy part let me know. I was like, all right. Kim is real. Like, <laughs> this girl is real as hell. Um, and for those of you who've never seen her Instagram, it's, like, the best thing ever. You have, like, what? You have over 80,000 followers? Or yeah. Something? Right. So, like, you're always, like, traveling. You're always, like, looking at amazing art. And um, it's, like, cool because, I, like, where it's definitely you. It's definitely, like, your beast in the streets, as you said. But also, like, you you get some idea of what you do professionally. It's, so, like, you used to be at the Studio Museum mm-hmm. um, doing what social it seemed like for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, now you're at the Met, which is this, like, gigantic, I don't even know, I would, calling it a gigantic institution, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's three blocks long. It's three blocks long. It's on Fifth Avenue, like, on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. Like, that's where, for those of y'all who have never read, the this is a fucking classic the mixed up files of mrs basil e frankweiler after you're done with this episode you need to go to the library and you pick this shit up it's a children's book it's flames it's like the best fucking book I've ever read in my it is life. flames it is <laughs> the shit and that like that takes place in like this iconic like location and like here you are like this young black woman from new jersey went to smith started this tumblr site have this online persona and then you're also like social production yeah. Yeah, for the Met. So you get to see that side of you. We get to see you went to the Venice Biennale. This yeah. Year. Yeah. That was That's lit. Lit. It was amazing. Please say more about that. Because Well, describe what the, the Venice Biennial or Biennale is. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 
50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Yeah, so um, the Venice Biennale is an exhibition that has been going on in Venice for the past, I think, 100 or like 150 times or something. Mm -hmm. So it's been going on for forever, basically. And it's really, really amazing because Venice is, first off, there's no street, like there's no like cars. You get around, you get around on a boat, like a Vipereto. It's amazing. Um, but it's been the site for contemporary art for a century, mm-hmm. you know? And that's and it's so it's so wonderful to think about site the site specificity of thinking about like this is where the hot new shit is every two years. Yeah. For the past one hundred years. You know? Yeah. The Peggy Guggenheim collection is also there and she was the shit. Mm-hmm. from the Guggenheim family, like the Guggenheim Museum, amazing collector, and thinking about supporting artists, thinking about supporting artists in a time when people didn't put priority on that type of cultural production. Mm-hmm. So in art history, kind of also a thing that I will butcher, so, you know, kill me. Um, <laughs> so in the beginning of art history, or art history as I like to begin it, you think about, like, the academy, so yeah. people would go to the academy and learn things much like someone would go to law school and yeah. learn law. You go to the academy and you learn gesture. You learn the gesture of whatever cultural production that you do. And it was very um, – there was an interest in creating images that are like – that are afterlife. There wasn't an – like no one was out here making abstract things. Mm-hmm. And then you get into this period of art history where people are like, fuck the academy – I'm going to do me. Also, fuck churches, <laughs> iconoclasm, and, like, people are just doing their own kind of shit. And then you get to a space like the Venice Biennale that every two years you know, like, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. This is what is the shit right now. And people are like, oh, I hate this. But also it exists, and there's a there's a stage for it, and yeah. people travel from around the globe to go see it. Um, and it's really amazing. And this year was curated by Oakley and Wazer, who is a fantastic, fantastic curator and very, very, very important scholar who, if you don't know that name, you should absolutely look up. He's just written so many amazing books and just has been a really prolific figure in the arts. And so my good friend Jessica Bill Brown and I decided to go out there to see it, mm-hmm. to see the Oakley show, as some people were referring to it. 
Um, and it really, really blew minds. It was so amazing. Um, there's kind of seasons in the art world where it's kind of like if you're at a regular job and people are like, you get on a Monday and people are like, what did you do this weekend? And then like <laughs> they leave before Friday and they're like, what do you have planned this weekend? It's like that kind of cyclical conversation, yeah. um, that banal conversation that happens over and over again. In the art world, it's kind of like that too. So people would be like, are you going to Miami? Like yeah. around October because you know that Art Balls in Miami is happening in December. December yeah. Or um, in about you know March or April, people are like, are you going to Venice? And it's just like, I always <laughs> thought it was so ridiculous because I'm like, I'm not because I'm not there socioeconomically to go. <laughs> and this year yeah. I was and I went and now I get why people talk about it. I get it. I get it totally why it's not an obtuse question to ask because it was – it was really, really wonderful. That's like one. That's one of the coolest things, though. I think about like your Instagram and Twitter accounts, is especially your Instagram account. You obviously you have this like next level knowledge. You have like a very you 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 know you obviously very studied, very learned, but also like you're like a regular person. Do you know what I mean? So like being able to go there with you, being able to see that. Especially like being like a young black woman, being able to see another young black woman kind of like out there doing the damn thing mm-hmm. is like so exciting. But also like it kind of it, it transmits like the experience and that information to me in a way that like feels like it's something that is for me. Mm-hmm. And that's like one of the things I think that you accomplish. Like, I don't know if you are, but you never seem like you're trying to accomplish something with your online persona. But, I mean, you know, it, it also definitely this happens, like, with black contemporary art, but it, it feels like this. Because one of the things that when you, when you study art history at a black school is you learn about all the barriers that stand between your average black person and being and having access to art mm-hmm. um, and having, like, access to having that um, be something that's, like, a part of their everyday lives. Like, we talked before about, like, the price of admission and mm-hmm. being able to go to museums and things like that. Um it definitely like I it made me feel more like it makes me feel more like this sort of thing is for me. Like mm-hmm. I always wanted to go to the Venice Biennale when I was like younger, mm-hmm. you know. But I was just like, all right, maybe when I'm like sixty, maybe <laughs> when I'm seventy five. So to like see, there's this a wonderful image that I love you and a few other black women. I want to say like Numa Perry was there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was in Florence. That was in Florence, which is also a crazy thing to say out loud. So I went to Venice, <laughs> to Biennale. Let me just tell you, like, I grew up and my family, ha- I just grew up in such a wonderful family. And I, whenever I have an interview, I always want to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they, my parents did a wonderful job raising me and I love them so dearly. But we didn't have a lot when I was growing up. Uh-huh. And so the idea of traveling was just never something that I felt was tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to go to a place like Venice is just like next level. So anyway, I was in Venice for the Viennale. Mm-hmm. And part of the buy-in to going was because there was also a black portraiture conference in Florence, Italy. So, That's so amazing. And they're like 45 minutes apart. So we just got on a train and went to Florence. It's like Philly. Literally like going to Philadelphia, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. Florence. Yeah. Um, and it was cool, too, because Venice is this site of contemporary art and Florence is old school. So it's very, very like masterworks, like the seminal kind of academy work is in Florence. Yeah. And so it was kind of a complete 180. And then also I was there with like three to five hundred black people from around the world. That's amazing. So I'm like getting into arguments about global blackness with Dutch black people on a bus on the way to San Mar- uh, on the way to, you know, some piazza somewhere. So it was really, really dope. Um, 
as part of so the conference is run by the lovely Deborah Willis, another person who, if that name is unfamiliar to you, you should look up. Mm-hmm. She's the mother of Hank Willis Thomas. Oh wow! And just the mother of black photography and imaging and archiving. She's just really, really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Deb put together this conference, brought in all these like really dope scholars, and all of these other beautiful black people came together as well and we just kicked it in Florence for about four days. That's like the that's like a dream to me. It was dope. And it was also dope too to just go to Italy for this incredibly black time. Um, yeah. I because mean, I was just like swaddled in black excellence and it was really great. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so Numa was there being excellent. Yeah, she's awesome. Numa Perrier, shout out to Numa. Yeah, she's, she's really, really dope. From black and sexy TV. It's on BT, which it's is just like, wildest what? Thing to me. It's the wildest thing to me. It's the wildest thing oh to me. Oh my gosh, so proud of her. Yeah, she's killing she's it. an awesome, awesome, awesome woman. But yeah, no, just seeing that image of all of these like beautiful black women like in Italy, like like having this like incredibly black experience yeah. that was so far beyond like growing up. Like I, it, it never felt like there was a ton that wasn't available to me. And then going to Howard, like being around, like you know, I think we talked about being just steeped in all of this blackness, mm-hmm. as you said, blickety blackness all damn day, every single day. You it, it look you know it it opens your mind to all the different possibilities that are available to you as a black person as a black woman but still just like you know seeing that photo of you guys there doing that specifically like you guys in Florence like at this conference specifically like it still like caused like a tiny explosion to go off in my mind where I was just like shit like this is like it's I, this is something I've always wanted to do like oh this is for me and I think that that's like I think that's like the dopest part about like the work that you do. And that's why we wanted to have you on, because art is not necessarily a space, I think, where a lot of black folks see themselves. When you talk about, like, fine visual arts, I don't think that's a place where a lot of us see ourselves. You know, even, like, um, white as our newsrooms are and as white as publishing is, you know, and we talk about, like, not having enough, like, black writers and that are, you know, that reach a certain level. We still, there's still, a, like, a good lot more of black writers, even black female writers, and there are black women who work in, like, fine and visual arts how do you feel about like being as young as you are because what are you like 25 mm-hmm. like how do you feel about which is like insane to me it's, it's congratulations it's like because like when I, I made was, it to 25 you <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Kanye shout out to Kanye you know when I was 25 <laughs> I was working in a motorcycle dealership <laughs> like, like for you to be doing this at 25 and to be in this particular space like how does that feel and what does that mean to you on one hand like you're in this really exalted in rare space but then additionally like you're also like a regular black woman who like uses instagram to like show people what she does like with her life and time it's great of course i mean i (laughs) i have worked really really hard to get to where i am Uh of course um and it's really nice to reap the benefits of one's hard work it's also you know interesting because i'm the work that I'm doing is very unprecedented mm-hmm. working in social media because social media didn't exist yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. Um, position a position like mine didn't exist not too long ago. And so it's interesting to really define what success is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that's always, that's, that's the hardest thing is figuring out what is success um, and how to make that success sustainable. Um, that's something that I think a lot about, but it feels great. I mean, I love my job. I love being able to 
share what I do with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wasn't, I mean, I, I try to think about what my life would be like if social media wasn't a part of it. If mm-hmm. I was maybe a curator or a conservator or a registrar or something working, because I think I would work in the arts regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to think about what my life in the arts would look like if I wasn't able to share it with people and it wouldn't be as rich. Um, and so for me, that's also very important is to just bring people in, in the ways that I can, because like you said, like I am just a regular person. Like mm-hmm. I grew up on Sterling Avenue in Orange, New Jersey and like very unassuming person always my entire life. Just like I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can and see what happens. And in lo- like in a very lovely way, it, has brought me to the point where I'm at and so I'm just you know trying to show people that they too can do what I do it's like there's no difference between me and someone else Mm -hmm. I just happen to work at the Met but like when I leave the Met someone else can come in and do a great job too it's like it's I think it's very democratic kind of some of the spaces that I find myself in and other people because there's a barrier to entry in some way Mm -hmm. either real or imagined Mm. it's I just want to let you know, like, the, the, the simplicity of my life also. Mm-hmm. It's like, I work really hard. I got what I got. It's like, you can do that, too. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's extenuating circumstances that limit us. But yeah. it's possible. Like, it is, of course, possible. And, of course, something that you deserve. Mm. Um, it's really, really important to me, too, like, to share with people that, and access to what you like to do is something that you absolutely deserve and something that you absolutely should feel value in working towards. Mm-hmm. Um, because why not? I think for a lot of people, there's this limitation on kind of like chasing what you want. Um, but you should do it. I mean, why not? And there's a lot of ways to do it that aren't like, you know, there's this really great clip of Oprah when she's talking to this like really ungrateful white woman in the audience who stands up and is like, Oprah, I want to be an actress so badly, blah, blah, blah. And Oprah is like, well, when I was your age, I thought I wanted to be an actress too. Your 20s are really hard. Um, But I was talking to an elder who said, you don't want to be an actress, you want to be a star. Because if you want to be an actress, you would drop everything and go after it. I'm not saying drop everything and go after it, but find the ways that you can chase what you want within Mm -hmm. the sustainable framework of your life Mm -hmm. Um, and that's all that I've done and that has gotten me to this point I wanted to work in the arts but I didn't know how but Mm -hmm. I did know that I wanted to make this blog and so I did that was my little part in it like Mm -hmm. I started it when I was doing all these other activities in college also working three jobs trying to put I put myself through school so I'm just like you know it's tangible Mm-hmm. it's totally, totally possible. It's just you have to work within the framework of your life. It's all relative to mm. um, your experience and what you can accommodate. Um, but you should take it with all seriousness, too. No, that's a very, very, very valid point that you make about working within the framework of your life. I think a lot of people think that um, in order to get someplace maybe where they want to be, they have to, like, chuck everything that they're doing, like, at that exact point in time and kind of just, like, go off on this, like, wild tangent. It's yeah. kind of just like, no. You're not like, Lena Dunham. Like, no. Not, <laughs> no. Like, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Yeah, but no. find a way, you know. Yeah. Find a way to, like, find space, find time to do something that you really care about. Yeah. Like and, Toni like, Morrison. Like, when she was, like, writing The Bluest Eye, also a story that I'm – probably gonna butcher but just like <laughs> she she talks about finding the right time to write 
like finding like when you're writing and you just stop and you look up and you see like oh okay it's 7 a.m this you know i'm drinking tea and like you find that scenario for Mm -hmm. yourself within the framework of your life and then you do the thing that you want to do it's like she was struggling she had a single mother yeah she's a single mother she's raising these children and knew that she wanted to see stories and so she would wake up like hella early and write but then also live her life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm not saying wake up at 5 a.m. every day because Lord knows I don't. But <laughs> I don't either. Trying to fit within the framework of your life to, to chase the things that you want. Mm-hmm. Because a hobby can very easily become a career. And that is what that's what I, I'm doing right now. Actually, you know what? Goddamn. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Because it's anime. It's Which real. Is, it's, it's very real. It's, it's very, very real. It's the strangest, strangest thing. So I want to shift gears a little bit. So something else that I really like about your online persona and your work is that it is black as hell. As me and Eric sometimes say, unabashedly and ashedly. <laughs> black as hell. How do you feel about, like, obviously, you know, we're we're living in some times. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and maybe not even the way that, like, black people are being, I don't want to say persecuted, but I could, it, it could be said. But, like, the way that, like, the way that black folks are, like, living in the United States, I don't know if it's necessarily changed too much in the past, like, 25 years, but the way that it presents is different, I would say, now than it has been previously. How do you feel about your work and also, like, the, the mission of black contemporary art? Like, I guess in light of, like, our current sociopolitical climate, kind of like, you know, you think about uh, even, like, our, our current sociopolitical climate as it presents online, right? So, mm-hmm. like, hashtag say her name. Hashtag, you know, Black Lives Matter. You talked earlier about urgency. That's a word that I really like. You said the urgency of the work. You realized when you were working at the Studio Museum, the urgency of of the work. Like, how do you did what it is that you do and how it is that you approach your stuff? Yeah. Uh, I think it's, for me, I think a lot about, especially like, okay, so we were talking about eras of social media. Mm-hmm. So case study, Facebook, when you start a fa- like Facebook is so fucked up, like it's so <laughs> fucked up right now. Um, it and is. it got me fucked up because this whole like flashback thing that Facebook is doing a is a mess, a mess. There's nothing like a social network making you hate your past self. Yeah. it's like You'd be like, like, I was basic as hell. I was basic as hell. I was wearing lipstick. I had chins from all the McDonald's that I was eating on Georgia Avenue. And like, oh, I would love to look at pictures of my ex-boyfriend and me. Right. I would. I love that. Thanks I would love to see this relationship that failed, <laughs> <laughs> like, friend-wise yeah. or otherwise. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Facebook has become this very triggering space. Mm-hmm. Like, it's great because there are groups, there are all these forums for discussion and for for me specifically my entire family is on Facebook. And so it's really great to know that they're doing well, to know that things are going on, to see babies when they're born, to um my auntie Billy, she writes on my Facebook wall every day and mm-hmm. she's just like have a great day, have a great weekend. And it's it's great for that. But mm-hmm. also thinking about scrolling through Facebook and everyone posting the Sandra Bland video. Yeah. And everyone posting this girl in McKinney, Texas, and everyone sharing this protest song that I happen to not like. Yeah. But can't say I don't like because then also, like, the publicness of being a black person who's dissenting from this thing that's for us yeah. is difficult, too. So, anyway, 
for me, when I think about my cultural production and think about the things that I'm sharing, mm-hmm. I want to be gentle in these times and share things that I think need to exist in the world, but also are like heighten what people are taking in. So an artist that I really admire is Martine Sims. Mm. She's um, California-based artist who just does everything, literally does it all, runs a publishing house called Dominica Publishing, and she makes objects and she just, she runs shit. But Martine did a screening at um, the space in Bushwick that I forget the name of, but is a really great space. Um, And she brought together these videos by black female artists. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing because it was the day that someone... You know, someone had killed a black person. Mm-hmm. It was just a day that that happened. Yeah. And it was all over Facebook. Everybody was posting this video. And you're just like scrolling and starts and scrolling and it starts. And Martine did this really wonderful thing by playing videos for us that weren't violent. Mm. Like playing videos for us that were just assuring of someone having been here and being amazing and creative and like eating nail polish or like just like things that were just weird and like yeah. trans like transported us to a different plane. Yeah. Um creating like sharing media that is not meant to harm or to incite some sadness or remorse. Yeah. It's just like that's what I want to do on social media um amidst all of the real reality like not to dis- like not to distract from the importance of this moment mm-hmm. but to provide media or to provide other people's creativity to people in a way that's enlightening Mm. and can transport us because that's because like why why else would you want to share with people you know Mm -hmm. yeah I remember I don't even know it was a day that a black person had died I reached a point where I was just like I don't want to do this right now so I just posted like a day that a person like a black person was killed the day the black person was killed exactly it was just like one just one of those days, mm-hmm. as, uh, it was as Monica Tuesday. put it, yeah, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just I couldn't like I couldn't engage it, and it's it, that's something that comes up a lot over and over again, and not just in the conversations that I have like in my regular life, but it's something again whether it's made the episode or not that like a conversation that we have a lot whenever we have guests and that Eric and I have with each other. I started posting pictures of happy black people. I'll be like, let me go back to my birthday, just to a like a throwback Thursday, because it's just like. Just like the visual, like you say, it's just like a like a lifeless black body mm-hmm. or a black body that you know now to be lifeless. Like, I never want to get used to that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I felt like I can't remember who it was. I think the Tamir Rice video when that came out and I like I noticed that there was like a divide between I know people, some like half of people I knew had watched it and the other half that I knew had. And then there were some stragglers who like didn't want to see it, but like happened upon the video accidentally. But like that was like when I reached a point where I was just like, I don't, I never want this to feel normal to me. Mm -hmm. I never want to feel like this visual makes me feel anything but like sick to my stomach. I never want to feel like, I mean, and and sure, I guess like the same way that you have fire fighters and like first responders and things like that. There Mm -hmm. are people who are in society who are designated to experience those things for the rest of us. You know what I mean? And kind of like be there to shield the rest of us from like from seeing this awful thing. I still think that like by and large, it like they like those people have been trained to kind of be invulnerable and kind of been trained to like be able to like handle that. I still feel like me as like a regular person, like I never want to feel like that visual is 
like a thing that makes me feel anything but pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I felt like guilty about that for a while. I felt guilty about like, like I feel guilt sometimes not engaging that all of the time. Mm -hmm. And I like not even just guilt for like, what does this look like? But also like, am I being responsible? (laughs) Like, you know, like kind of feeling like you always need to be feeling like you always need to respond or feeling like you always need to be present. So I really appreciate what you said, not just about um, the Martine Sims bit, which I should actually look up, but also remembering as a black woman that I have the right, just as anybody else, to just not, I'm not required. I'm not required to respond. I'm not required to be present um, every time I'm called. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. And I think about that like a lot with words Every time something like that happens, there's, like, a wave of, like, things that come out afterward that mm-hmm. people, you know, everyone's, like, I'm, they're stricken with whatever. It could be grief. It could be upset. And they feel like they need to, like, get something off their chest and put it out there. But talking to you, kind of putting context, like, the violence of those images, not just the violence that's depicted in the image, yeah. but just, like, the violence of, like, having something that you use every day, like Facebook, be this really triggering space where, again, you also feel like you feel pressure to publicly respond you feel pressure to publicly agree you feel pressure to like well to like you know Mm -hmm, what I mean mm -hmm. no so I really appreciate the way that you put that I have a question about artists Mm -hmm. specifically obviously part of the reason why I wanted to have you here is just because like you you always like exalt and lift up the names of at this point what probably thousands of black artists Mm -hmm. through your site which is amazing in and of itself there's one name that you would want people to leave with today who's just exciting the hell out of you right now oh that's a hard question who's exciting the hell out of me right now there's just so many people who are doing amazing things mm-hmm. i you think can, i mean you can take a minute yeah i yeah i definitely don't think i could point to one person mm-hmm. but i would definitely point to a show that i think is really great mm-hmm. that's starting to Day opens in 45 minutes. The Greater New York Exhibition at MoMA PS1, mm-hmm. um, which is now free for New Yorkers to go to PS1 for this year. Because, mm-hmm. um, but in Greater New York, there's a really wonderful selection of artists that I truly, truly admire, including Kevin Beasley, who's an artist from Virginia and is amazing. Kevin does the best interviews, period. He's just really, really fantastic mm-hmm. artist. Eric Mack, who uh, was recently a resident at the Studio Museum in Harlem. Devin Kenny, who is based in New York as well. It's all, they're all based in New York now because it's greater New York. Um, but anyway, Devin is a great media artist who is always putting on other artists too. He has um, this exhibition platform called Expansion Foam yeah. that he does, and he brings this grouping of artists together and they're singers or performers or net artists and like he is the person who if I'm ever thinking about the intersection between digital and art I hit up Devin and he knows something about something um, Howard Dina Pindell who I'm who I might have mentioned when we're recording mm-hmm. or not is in the show David Hammonds is in the show it's curated by a number of curators but one that I have a great affection for is Thomas Lax, mm-hmm. who is an amazing, amazing, amazing curator who used to work at the Studio Museum in Harlem and has recently started working in digital media at the MoMA. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the bomb, another name that I think if you listen to this, you should look up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that exhibition, I think, is a great kind of picture of the artist that I'm thinking about right now. So I can't say one because 
that would be a terrible thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would definitely suggest going to see that exhibition and seeing those artists who were present and then looking at their network of artists because nobody knows artists like artists. Nobody knows artists like artists. Well, shit, Kim. I'm very honored that you came here today. One of the things that we wanted to do with the show, we talked about, I talked about this with Jasmine when she was here. I just, it's not every day that like young black people get to have somebody sit and ask them about their work for like an hour, you know what I mean? And it's like recorded. One of the things that's like blown my mind since like my job obviously has changed and stuff like that is that like you realize that there's all these different ways to be a creative person. There's all Mm -hmm. these different, be a creative person and like pay your rent, pay your bills and like not have to like, as you say, be of the academy or anything like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just seeing that there's so many different ways that creative black people, like, do life. There's, like, this whole idea that, like, you have to, like, it has to be, like, a James Lipton inside the actor's studio thing. You have to have, like, you know, performed King Lear with, like, the Royal Shakespearean Theater Company um, before anybody asks you about, like, your life or career. Or you have to, like, have been, like, a New York Times bestseller. We just wanted to be able to have... People like you, people who've done something really amazing with the resources that they had while still being young, while still being black in the world. So you definitely like exemplify a lot of the stuff that we're about here. I'm very glad that you're like the first guest that we've had that's like not a writer, you know, somebody who does like a different discipline. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. My it's absolute been pleasure. Such, such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for doing this because it's it's really, really important to share the multiplicity of like who we can be and what we can be and like the levels to this shit it's like (laughs) there's just so many ways to be young and black and there's just so many ways to be young and whoever the fuck you are or old and whoever the fuck you are and it's important it's valid it's valid and you can have an impact and I hope someday that somebody tells you that your podcast changed their life because I'm sure you're <laughs> out here changing lives and people just aren't comfortable saying it yet but it is such such important work Thank you. Thank you very much. It's true. If you, if I have changed your life, feel free to let me know. Because most of the time, I'm really not sitting around doing nothing but working on this, going to work, working on work, or watching Empire on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> like, weeks late. Yeah. Uh, people are always like, how come like how come y'all don't live tweet Empire? I'm like, can you come in here and live tweet this, all this work I got to do? Right. Can you come here and live tweet <laughs> these bills? Right. <laughs> <laughs> these bills. Exactly. Yeah. But um, thank you so much, Kim. Thank you guys for listening. I guess another thing, the very, very last thing. Oh, if you're in the Portland or Seattle area um, and you're going to be around, I guess by the time this episode drops, it'll be next week, October 19th to 22nd. I will be in town on tour with Pop-Up Magazine, which is like this live journalism event. How cool are you? Wait, you know, you know what that is? Yeah. That's because thi- Jenna Wortham, who is oh, one of my co-collaborators, awesome. she is amazing. And if you're listening to this, you should read her piece on Zanelli Muholi. I like yeah. literally bigging it up like I'm her damn auntie. But it's so <laughs> good. And I'm so, always so proud of Jenna. And she's the shit. And Pop-Up is the shit. We did a couple shows. We did one show in LA a couple weeks ago. You on tour? Yeah, we basically. Somebody's like, "Why are you always out of town?" And I was like, "I guess I'm on this tour," which is like a weird thing to say. It's like weird to go to sound check and stuff like that because like people are like, "Oh, what are you doing?" I'm like, "I just got done with sound." There's nothing else that you can call it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying it just makes me feel like Elaine Stritch or Beyonce or something like that. Oh yeah. no, but Jenna's awesome, and Jenna's piece in pop up is the sh- is the shit. Um, Jenna's the shit. Jenna's the shit. Jenna's I love the you, shit. Jenna. 
She really is. I literally just met her a few weeks ago, and I was like, she's, like, you you were, like, literally the most popping person. Um, and so talented and so chill. So, also, Jenna, I love you. Also, if you want to come on the show. She totally wants to come on the show. We, we want to we have her. It's just, like, good luck finding her. <laughs> well, she's, like, on the move. You want to talk about people who are better than Beyonce? It's true. She's not, like, a singer, but, like, she's she's She'll be there. doing her stuff. She's a pop star. She's in a, my eyes. to me around these parts. Jenna Wortham is like is a force to reckon with. So yeah, no. Anyway. If you if you like the show, if you like Jenna Wortham, and if you if the only way that you could possibly not not like her or her work, I feel like is if you just never read it. You've just never yeah. Heard you of just her. gotta be put on. Yeah, you just gotta be. I put mean, on. also let me also say this: two things that I want to say before we're done because <laughs> this is already too long. Yes. Uh, one thing. Yeah. It's really, really important to big up people, and that's why I'm glad that this show exists because mm. there's nothing like just telling someone that you appreciate their hard work. Two, if um, if you're in Detroit that same weekend, I will be in Detroit. Wait, where are you going to be? Are you going to be at the DIA? I'm going to go to DIA because they have the 30 Americans exhibition up. Oh, my God. Um, but I'm also doing a talk at Creative Many. They're doing a mini little conference and I will be on a panel talking about contemporary art in the 21st century. Oh my God, that's super dope! Thanks to Taylor Aldridge, who's she Howard alum. Howard. So I just clapped. is popping. That's popping so also. Pop. She is popping. Arts Black is a black arts criticism site started by Jessica Lynn and Taylor Aldridge, and you should also look that up too. That's beautiful. Yep. Oh, so mm-hmm. I'm on Tumblr at blackcontemporaryart.tumblr.com, mm-hmm. and on Twitter and Instagram at Museum Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, and follow me, yeah. message me, t- you know, like talk to me. Yes. So. Yeah, hit us up. We're around. So, yeah, so um, this is our show today. I'm so glad that you're here. It's so exciting to me that to have, like, to have you here talking about what it's like to be a black woman, like, in the art space. Because there's a lot of us that don't know a whole bunch about it or don't know that we're interested in it or don't know that that's, like, a possibility. Um, so I'm very, very glad that you're here and like shared space with me. I'm very happy about this. Yay. Yes. And Eric, we miss you. I miss you. Yeah, Eric, we'll meet someday. 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 Um, but yeah, no, we'll holler at you later and y'all, you know, just keep doing what the fuck you're doing. Stay woke. Yeah, stay woke and pay them bills. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.